Morning, y'all. I'm Katie Kamen, and it's Thursday, November 3rd. On this date in 1961, three artists became the first performers elected into the Country Music Hall of Fame. They were Jimmy Rogers, Fred Rose, and Hank Williams. And on this date in 1911, an American car company was founded in Detroit. It would be acquired seven years later by General Motors. Can you guess which company traces its origin to this date? I'll have that answer coming up. But first, let's take a short drive to the first alert weather desk for your Thursday forecast. And good Thursday morning to you. I'm meteorologist Joey Silvai. Just a little cool out the door this morning. Lots of sunshine. Beautiful day ahead. Temperatures in the low 70s at lunchtime. Go up in the mid to upper 70s for highs this afternoon. Cool back down pretty quickly this evening. Tomorrow morning will start out in the upper 50s. Tomorrow afternoon for our Friday, partly cloudy. Small chance of a shower. We'll see a mix of sun and clouds with Saturday, Sunday. Much warmer this weekend compared to last weekend is time change weekend. So we turn the clocks back one hour Saturday night as you head to bed. Highs this weekend around 80, 81 degrees. We'll be at 80 on Monday of next week. Next Tuesday is election day. May see one or two showers by late in the day. You're listening to Morning Y'all, your local headlines and first alert weather forecast from the Low Country's news leader, Live 5 News. Morning Y'all is sponsored by MUSC Health. Join a team that's changing what's possible. MUSC Health is hiring for all locations and various positions, including radiology, path and lab, maintenance, and a number of other professions. Find out more about the competitive pay rates and benefits or review a more comprehensive list of current openings at muschealth.org careers. MUSC Health, changing what's possible. And here are your news headlines. Well, last night, the two leading candidates for one of the most closely watched statewide races in our state, uh, State Superintendent of Education, met for the only time on the debate stage. Republican Ellen Weaver and Democrat Lisa Ellis, they laid out their vastly different visions for leading the State Department of Education and succeeding uh, Superintendent Molly Spearman, who's not seeking re-election. Now, Democrat Lisa Ellis has spent the last 20-plus years working in schools, mainly as a teacher, and says that experience is needed for the role. Weaver, who previously chaired the state's Education Oversight Committee, uh, also heads a conservative think tank repeatedly. She touted she was already established necessary uh, relationships or has necessary relationships with state leaders to be successful as the next superintendent. I believe that the teacher voice, understanding what is really going on in schools and how best to fix that, needs to come up to the policy level. This is a huge job that requires leadership, management, and policy experience, all things that I've been privileged to hone over the last two decades of my career. Now, other topics discussed in last night's debate included teacher pay, student learning post-pandemic, and a voucher program for private schools. The candidates also answered questions about critical race theory and what materials are appropriate for school libraries as well as classrooms. The two candidates running for South Carolina governor making last-minute stops around the state just ahead of the midterm election next week. Governor Henry McMaster and running mate Lieutenant Governor Pamela Evett held a rally last night at the Citadel. The McMaster-Evett campaign was endorsed by a coalition of military veterans led by Medal of Honor recipient Major General James E. Livingston and former Adjutant General and Major General Robert E. Livingston, Jr. Congresswoman Nancy Mace also showed up to support. 
The campaign duo will be making stops in Florence, Merle's Inlet, and Conway today. Democratic challenger Joe Cunningham made a stop in Sumter last night as part of his Countdown to Freedom tour. He's set to visit SC State University today from 2 to 3.30 p.m. and will be making a stop in Charleston on Monday. He's also visiting Greenville, Beaufort, and Hopkins in the next few days. Well, we're just a few days away from the midterm elections, and candidates are making those last-minute stops to rallies, like uh, Katie said, and also polling sites. So what exactly are they allowed to do there? Anna Harris spoke with election officials to answer the biggest questions that many concerned voters are having about those guidelines. One of the biggest questions that I hear voters keep asking is, are candidates allowed to stand right outside the poll doors and campaign for themselves? In short, the answer is yes. However, I spoke with one voter off camera who says she did not feel like this was right. And we've gotten several emails to the newsroom saying the same thing. Gina Argentino of Dorchester County says she went to vote with her 78-year-old father earlier this week. She says she was bombarded by multiple candidates and did not understand how they were allowed to stand 15 feet from the door in campaign. According to the South Carolina Election Commission's poll manager's handbook, candidates are allowed to stand out and campaign within 500 feet, but they cannot display or distribute campaign materials within the 500 feet. They also cannot interfere with the orderly election process. I reached out to Berkeley County about candidate complaints, and they say they have received very few complaints overall this year. Dorchester County has not yet responded about the number of complaints, but I visited the same polling location as Argentino, and one employee says they see candidates outside regularly, but no complaints from voters so far. Kramer says complaints about a candidate can be reported to a poll manager. He says Charleston County hears these same concerns every election cycle. I just think with a heightened level of just awareness to elections right now across the country, I think voters are just like, hey, you know, I don't maybe remember that there was a candidate outside the last time I voted, which may be true. And just remember, a lot of people are voting early for the first time in their life. The last day of early voting is on Saturday, and the polls will be open on Election Day from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. For more information on candidate and voting guidelines, visit this web story on Live5News.com. In the newsroom, Anna Harris, Live 5 News. If the polls are right about races coming down to the wire, then every vote is going to matter, including those who vote early or absentee. When the day ends, election work gets started. They're counting ballots and registration forms, filling out chain of custody documents, and making sure there's no mistakes in signatures and addresses. Nothing gets counted before Election Day. Your early voting ballot is stored in a room only clerk staff have access to, which is normally un uh, under surrounded is surrounded by surveillance cameras 24-7. After being stored, your ballot makes its final trip to your polling place on Election Day, where clerks feed ballots into tabulating machines while people cast their vote on November 8th. In newly filed court documents, the state's attorney general has provided Alec Murdoch's defense team with critical information about the death of Murdoch's wife and son. In the motion, prosecutors specify that Maggie and Paul Murdoch were murdered between 8.30 and 10.30 p.m. on June 7th, 2021 at the family's property in rural Colleton County. The motion was filed in response to a motion from the defense demanding a specific time their client would need to provide an alibi. Alec Murdoch has told investigators that he arrived at the property and found his wife and son shot to death. Murdoch's trial is expected to begin in Colleton County on January 23rd. To stay up to date on all things related to the Murdoch case, we have all of our stories in one place so it's easy for you to find. Just head to live5news.com, click on News, and you'll find the Murdoch Cases tab.
The Berkeley County Sheriff's Office is investigating after a shooting injured a person. Deputies were called to the Wingate neighborhood near Myers Road off Musket Lane for reports of a shooting around 10 o'clock last night. Deputies say that victim was taken to a nearby hospital and is expected to be okay. They say the suspect left that scene prior to deputies arriving. The Berkeley County Sheriff's Office continued to investigate. The Charleston County Sheriff's Office is investigating a shooting in the Ladson area. Deputies say it happened on Nestwood Street around 5.30 p.m. yesterday. According to the Sheriff's Office, the victim was taken to the hospital. No arrests have been made. Authorities say that investigation continues. Well, it's been four weeks since a Georgia toddler was reported missing from his Chatham County home. Police say they believe 20-month-old uh, Quentin Simon is dead and have launched an extensive search operation for his remains in a local landfill. Now, police say Quentin's mother, Leilani Simon, is the prime suspect and only suspect in his death and disappearance. Chatham County police tweeted finding Quentin's remains in a landfill are low. The FBI also says the outcome of this search will be uncertain. The city of Charleston says it has a shortfall of millions of dollars for next year's budget and are looking for ways on how to come up with that money. Now the city says it needs about $7.8 million extra next year, and that's mainly a fund to pay increases for all city employees, such as police, fire, and staff. Council will be mulling over two options until the budget is finalized, one where they will raise the millage by about $100 on a $500,000 home using credits from the local option sales tax uh, from to fund that shortfall. Council members and staff still have a few months to work on the finishing touches on the budget, which starts next January. Today, Charleston County School District staff will present revised plans for a new elementary school on Johns Island, and they're looking for your input. The original plans for the school were presented back in June. The district has allocated $41 million in taxpayer uh, dollars to build the new campus. According to the school district's 2023 to 2028 camp capital building program, the school will be built on River Road between Brownswood and Murraywood Roads. That meeting on the plans is set for 6 o'clock tonight at Mount Zion Elementary School. Well, the South Carolina Department of Transportation, they're going to meet with residents tonight to discuss safety improvements to the U.S. 17 alternate North Main Street. The meeting will be drop-in style with displays of the proposed project. Live 5's Lauren Quinlan joining us in the newsroom. And Lauren, what are some of those improvements that they're looking to add to this? Aisha, according to SCDOT's official website, the improvements include installing new signage, signals, and pedestrian crosswalks. Officials say the purpose of this project is to improve safety at intersections along U.S. 17A for both pedestrians and motorists. The proposed project would span from Farmington Road to 2nd Avenue in Berkeley County, and officials say they are anticipating construction will start the summer of 2024. Now, this section of U.S. 17A was selected for improvements by the Federal Highway Safety Improvement Program. It's a program that uses a strategic data-driven approach to identify places throughout the state with high crash rates or patterns and implement safety enhancements through infrastructure-related improvements. Comments from the community will be accepted until November 18th, and those received during that time will be considered and included in the project record. Now, there are a few ways you can comment either in person during today's meeting, online, or by mail, and that information is up on your screen. I am told comments will not be accepted verbally at tonight's meeting.
The meeting starts from 5, ends at 7 p.m. at Sangaree Middle School in Ladson. And for that address or any more information, just visit our website at live5news.com and click on this story. Live in the newsroom, Lauren Quinlan, Live 5 News. The city of Folly Beach is asking for input from the community on its new proposed parking plan. Yeah, that proposed plan is looking to bring both paid and free parking to the area. The city is submitting the plan to SCDOT this coming Saturday, which means you have two more days to share your thoughts. Now, our Molly McBride, she joins us live from Folly right now. And Molly, how many parking spaces are they looking to bring? Good morning. Good morning. The city says they plan to add 131 paid parking spaces along the front beach parking, bringing that new percentage of paid parking up to 33% of all spots. They plan to add paid parking along Arctic Avenue and up numbered streets. They are also planning to add free parking along the Ashley Avenue on top of the free parking that already exists on the street. The city says the plan was developed with the goal of giving residents and visitors equal opportunity to prime parking. For each paid parking space proposed, two additional free spots were created, according to the city. However, it appears that not everyone is on board with that proposal. The Charleston Beach Foundation released a response to the plan objecting to the increase of paid parking. They also challenged the claim that only 33% of the parking is paid, claiming that some of the free spaces included in that equation are blocked by debris, ditches, or other encroachments. Many spots that they're claiming you can park where you can't fit a car there. Um, not to mention where we are right now. If you go to the beach here with an old, as an older person or a family, whatever, and you need to go to the bathroom, it's about a mile walk in either direction in order to get to any sort of facilities. Tim Jump provided research to the Beach Foundation. He's a frequent surfer in Folly and says he believes the beach, like the rest of nature, should be free to everyone. I reached out to the mayor for an interview who provided the following statement. The city says the free and paid parking space counts on the plan are based on a physical inventory of spaces within DOT right of way and that the number of free spaces does not include obstructed areas. They say the actual count of spaces within the areas marked as free does not include areas where a vehicle can't be parked. Again, comments will be accepted until this Saturday. The city says to email comments to comments at follybeach.gov. For that email, visit live5news.com and click on this web story. Reporting live on Folly Beach, Molly McBride, Live 5 News. At the top of the show, I mentioned an American automaker that was founded on this date 111 years ago. That company, which is part of the General Motors family, was the Chevrolet Motor Car Company. So, happy anniversary, Chevy. Celebrating birthdays today, former Massachusetts governor and presidential candidate Michael Dukakis is 89. Actor and radio personality Shadow Stevens is 76. Comedian Roseanne Barr is 70. Comedian Dennis Miller is 69. And model Kendall Jenner is 26. It's almost the end of the week, y'all. Thanks so much for joining us once again. From Live 5 News, I'm Katie Kamen. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Morning, y'all. Produced every weekday morning and sponsored by MUSC Health. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen anytime at live5news.com slash podcasts.
and download the free Live 5 News app for your mobile device for the latest local news and weather updates 24-7 from Live 5 News, the Low Country's news leader.